Hey you, you're listening to episode number 94 of the Keto Diet Podcast. Today we're chatting about hormone concerns, timing fasting with your menstrual cycle, how fasting adjustments can help when you're in menopause or perimenopause, and so much more. This episode is actually an older episode that I'm repurposing because... I get these questions all of the time, and there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to keto for women, how to make it work for us, how to not, and because I get so many questions, and because this previous episode from the Keto Diet Podcast, from the archives of the show, is just such a great episode, I figured, hey, why don't we share it with our audience again? So if you've already listened to this episode, I encourage you to listen again, because there's nothing like listening to the same thing six months down the road and being like, wait, I didn't hear it that way, or this applies to me right now, and this topic is super important to me because when I first started keto and even into today, you know, four and a half, almost five years into eating keto, you know, there's a lot of people that say a lot of things that I should or shouldn't do. And when I do those things that aren't true for my body, I end up getting really stuck. So I feel like this episode may be helpful for those of you that are stuck with fasting or you need some more tools in your tool belt when it comes to fasting. And if you want more episodes on fasting, stay tuned because I have a new one coming out very soon on the show. So if you're all about fasting and you want more information and you already have my programs, The Keto Beginning and Fat Fueled, you can find out more about fasting for women, my opinions on it, how I did it um, when I was first starting out and how it transitioned as I was healing my body. You can check out chapter six of The Keto Beginning and chapter five of Fat Fueled. And it just so happens that both of those chapters start off on page 72 and both of my digital programs. I've put together a really sweet podcast extra and transcript, which you guys can get at healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E94. That includes all the details we're chatting about today, in addition to a bunch of different links and having all of the resources in one place and in your inbox is really helpful. And one cool thing, I've created a five steps to overcome your carb cravings little guide that you can grab at healthfulpursuit.com slash sugar. When I say little, that's not really an accurate description. It's pretty epic. In there, you're going to learn how fasting is easier when your cravings are managed and how to manage those cravings efficiently, how salt intake affects your sugar cravings, why your gut health is so important. And by having healthy gut, we're actually able to fast longer. And what to do to simplify your ketogenic breakfast and your approach. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women, so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, heal your body, quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. And now, here's your host. You might know her as the Keto Queen. She's the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, founder of Happy Keto Body, and she loves dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, Leanne Vogel. So our guest today is Megan, and she's the IDM Program Director and Clinical Educator. She attended the University of Toronto and developed a strong interest in preventative medicine. She has worked alongside Dr. Fung since 2003 and was the first IDM guinea pig. So our interview today is all about fasting for women and talking about the women in 
the intense dietary management program and what Megan has seen within the practice. A couple of things I want to note before we cut over to the interview. The first is that you need to listen. She says a bunch of times that you need to take baby steps when it comes toward developing a fasting practice. So just in case you missed that a bunch of times throughout the recording, I just want to remind you right here and then to kind of set the stage that this is a baby step process. If you've never tried fasting or if you're even frustrated with fasting and you're thinking that it might not be right for you, it might be that you're pushing yourself too hard and it might be that you need to kind of take a step back, listen to this episode, You could even listen to the episode that I did with Dr. Jason Fung, her colleague. It was episode number four called Fasting Versus Calorie Counting. On this podcast, you can either access that episode by going to healthfulpursuit.com forward slash podcast forward slash E4, or just head on over to what, however you're listening to this on whatever podcast application and look for episode four, and it'll be in there and just surround yourself with more fasting information so that you can make an educated choice toward your own health. So with that said, let's cut over to the interview. Hey, Megan, how's it going? Hi, Leanne. It's going pretty well today. It's finally summertime here in Toronto. How are you doing? It's summer here in Calgary. It's like 28 degrees today. I'm amazed. Uh, it's not that here yet, but this weekend, finally, Toronto's been under like monsoon rains for the last few months. So we're looking forward to the really hot weather this weekend. Yeah, I was just in Toronto last week and it was super windy and really rainy. So... <laughs> As long as it's not windy and rainy, I think you're doing pretty good because every time I've been there in the last three months, it's been windy and rainy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the last three months have stunk. So we'll have to have you back in July or August. When Deal. It's really <laughs> I like that plan. So for listeners that may not be familiar with your work, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Megan Ramos. I'm a clinical researcher. I've worked with Dr. Jason Fung for the last 18 years. So he was barely a doctor and I was barely able to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a research student assigned to him. Dr. Fung's a kidney specialist, as many people know. So most of my research has focused on kidney disease. But the majority of my patients, um, I study patients have kidney disease because of diabetes. So as a diabetes gets worse, the kidney disease gets worse, and there's nothing that we could do about it. So I was getting disheartened, you know, watching my patients die from diabetes, not feeling like I could help them. And Dr. Fung also felt the same way. And then I also had my own issues in my mid 20s. When I was younger, nobody was really concerned about my health, despite me having some complications. I was 12 when I had fatty liver, 14 when I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, but I was classified as underweight. Nobody cared about my body composition, though. In hindsight, I know I was a skinny little sack of fat, but because a number on the scale did reflect my bone mass and my muscle mass and and how much body fat I had. And the number on the scale was low. Nobody was really concerned and they just said I'd grow out of it. But in my mid-20s, I became just just obese. And that's when I was diagnosed with diabetes. So Dr. Fung at this point, who was already researching a little bit about fasting, and I knew that. And I I went to him. I was open-minded, grasping at straws. I wasn't going to die from diabetes. And I was willing to try anything. And when he talked to me, I sort of felt like the biggest buffoon on the planet because everything he said just made perfect sense. And everything that we had ever recommended to patients, all of a sudden, just didn't make sense at all. So I jumped in and I had tremendous success, lost 80 pounds. I've kept it off for five years. My hemoglobin A1C is 4.5. There's no question about my fertility later on in life. All my abdominal ultrasounds, there's no, no polycystic ovarian syndrome. I have a really clear liver. So 
after my experience, we had a lot of patients see my transformation and they'd say, Megan, we want to do whatever it is that you're doing. We don't care. They saw me come back to life. And so we were talking with Jason and we decided to give it a go with a few patients once we had gathered some support from our colleagues. So in uh, 2014, uh, Jason Fung and I co-founded the Intensive Dietary Management Program in Scarborough, Ontario, which is a suburb of to or a borough of Toronto. So we're in Toronto, Canada. And uh, in in our clinic, we primarily focus on metabolic syndrome and weight loss and treating that through intermittent fasting and other lifestyle modifications such as a low-carb, moderate-protein diet, but there's a high emphasis on the intermittent fasting. And then we also have a long-distance program uh, where we can reach out and help people from other countries, provide them with the same fasting education that our in-office patients get. So in an intensive dietary management long-distance program, we're unable to monitor our participants medically because they're outside of our jurisdiction, but we are able to help them from a nutritional um, aspect and a fasting aspect. It's been really great. My in-laws are American and, um, you know, that uh, their insurance is just horrendous and uh, just sort of the fear and anxiety over medical bills. So we're really help, happy to help people out abroad. We're really spoiled here in Toronto, um, but even our, we have a lot of people here that need to be helped um, despite the great quality of our healthcare system. So it's been really rewarding. So the Intensive Dietary Management Program, our, we actually just celebrated our fourth year anniversary as an official program on Monday this week. And uh, we're going strong. Both Jason and I were pretty sure someone was going to try to shut us down within four months. So we're really proud to be at four years and we're, we're going strong. So um, so that's that's me. <laughs> I, um, I provide the clinical education and uh, counseling and support for our patients, both in office office and online. We have a new men's weight loss program too that uh, is run by a man named Angel Ramos. And we have uh, a naturopath who works with us, uh, Nadia Padaguana, and then of course, Dr. Jason Fung. So we're expanding, we're growing slowly, but surely. Solid team, like sounds like you got your stuff together. That's awesome and really hard to do. So congratulations on that anniversary. Because as a business owner too, you know, you have to put a lot of the good people and all the good roles and it's, it's hard, especially with the work that you're doing to keep it rocking. So congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. I think we have the perfect team and hopefully we can grow it more in the future. Yeah, you bet. So a couple of questions. First off, where can people find more information about the long distance program? So if you go to our website, which is intensivedietarymanagement.com, on the, the home screen, there's a, a, a subtitle that says join. And if you click on join, you'll see the Intensive Dietary Management Long Distance Program. Um, so you can reach out to us. You can reach out to us via email too at info at idmprogram.com as well. And, uh, and, and we're happy to answer any questions that you might have about our program. Beautiful. And so for people that may not know what fasting is, do you want to go quickly through what you consider fasting and maybe a couple of its benefits? So what we consider fasting is sort of abstaining from items that cause an insulin response in the body for a certain period of time. 
some of our patients will do 18 hours of fasting or 16 hours of fasting every day. So they're eating in eight or six hour eating periods or eating windows. Some of them do intermittent fasting 24, 36 hours, three times a week. And some of our patients will do more prolonged periods of fasting anywhere from three to, to 30 days. Um, the longest someone's fasted for in our program was 31 days. And of course, under tight medical supervision from Dr. Fung. So during the fasting period, uh, most of our patients were looking to treat metabolic syndrome. So uh, there are certain fluids that we permit, and these fluids, we consider them to be non-insulinogenic fluids. So these are fluids that don't raise our insulin levels. So that's sort of our definition of fasting in the IDM program, as you want to sort of resist consuming anything during this period that's going to raise your insulin levels any higher. Metabolic syndrome is, not, is insulin resistance. And insulin resistance means you have a very high level of insulin in the body. So we don't want to add any more fuel to the fire. So on our fasting days, um, there's certain fluids that our patients consume, such as water, homemade bone broth, tea or coffee with no, no sweeteners in them, maybe a splash of fat if they do. Fat's not very insulinogenic at all. So we have these very low insulinogenic foods or fluids that the patients can consume. And the idea with fasting is that you empty, you empty your leftover food from your refrigerator, your internal refrigerator. I always tell the patients to think of their body as that internal, uh, internal refrigerator. So when they fast, they're feasting off of that extra birthday cake slice that they had in 1997 and that extra half a pizza that they ate in 2002 that their body didn't need the f extra fuel from that day. Um, so it stored the extra fuel in their refrigerator to be feasted on later on, but we never gave our body a chance to feast on all of the leftovers in our refrigerator. So we tell the patients that when you're fasting, you're clearing out your, your internal refrigerator because all this unwanted stored fat, that's just leftover fuel from previous meals that you've never had a chance to clear out of your system. So you want to clear out of the system when we fast. And as you do that, you actually lower the insulin levels too. So on fasting days, we want to prevent adding more insulin to the system and we can actually reduce the insulin in the system as well. So that's one of the biggest benefits of fasting. So fasting really helps regulate you hormonally, particularly from an insulin standpoint. Having toxic levels of insulin can put you at high risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease. So we really want to help lower those insulin levels down. So the primary benefit of fasting is hormonal regulation. By re decreasing the insulin level, you promote insulin sensitivity in the body. And insulin sensitivity means your cells start to like your own insulin again because they're not overwhelmed, they're bombarded by it. I always uh, talked about patients' uh, insulin resistance. I, I joke and say that I developed a Dell resistance um, after uh, her song uh, Hello came out. Um, <laughs> I was so excited for, for Adele you know, to have her comeback CD or album and that song Hello. I loved it at first, but then it was overplayed and I developed the Dell resistance, but they stopped playing it as often. And now when that song comes on, I like it again. And I no longer loathe the sound of this woman's voice. And I don't want to scream goodbye every time she says hello. So I've developed a Dell sensitivity. 
again. So we talk to the patients about how when you stop bombarding and overwhelming your system with insulin and you're able to regulate your insulin levels and bring them down, your cells start to start to utilize it effectively when it's produced again. So this allows for um, increased movement of, of glucose into the cells, which promotes energy. A lot of people um, who are overweight or have metabolic issues, they always feel like they're dragging their feet because even if their cells need energy, the cells are not able to get that energy because of the insulin resistance. So this is why people with weight, excess weight or metabolic syndrome are always so tired all of the time. Even if their cells are screaming for it, they're not getting it because of this, uh, this toxic level of insulin in the body. So when you regulate the insulin levels, you get a better flow um, of energy into the cells, which fuels you and makes you more energetic as a result. So people say often feel like they've come back to life. It promotes better mental clarity too, which I'd have to say is sort of our number two feedback from from patients so number one we hear from patients the most is their um, increased energy and number two is their increased mental clarity and better sleep Mm. so those are sort of the top three things we hear as feedback from our patients your analogies are great so thanks for that because that really brings it home for a lot of people and with insulin and you said it's impact on hormones let's chat a little bit about women's hormones and fasting because women can maybe run into issues. And I think when I was intermittent fasting, the mistake that I made and and Jason, when he came on the podcast a couple of months ago, he was talking about the fact that when women fast, usually, or men too, like when people fast, sometimes they not only fast, but they also reduce their calories and they're trying to manipulate their calories and also fast at the same time. And I think that's why I had so many issues with fasting when I first got started is because I was trying to do both strategies, which he was like, don't do that. Um, And then (laughs) I started not doing that and I can fast a lot easier, but are there other things specifically for women when it comes to fasting? You mentioned insulin, hormones. By reducing your insulin, are you helping your sex hormones too or not? Or That is something we commonly hear back from women. Um, they found their libido again. And it's funny, they're like, at seven years old, we never thought that <laughs> we wouldn't be all that interested again. But it does have a positive effect at sort of all stages of our life. So we do hear increased libido, improved menstruation cycles. Women, because of estrogen, we have sort of that extra fat trapping hormone that our male counterparts don't have to deal with. So weight loss is not as rapid. Um, but I will say, the majority of patients in our program are female, 70% at least are, are female in all stages of life. And they've only ever part reported positive feedbacks. For younger women, uh, when you start fasting, it can cause some uh, irregulation with your menstrual cycle for the first couple of months and then things regulate beautifully so uh, we hear a lot of the time and I've experienced myself regular periods every 28 days almost the exact hour that it's going to start going from you know seven day horrendous periods with terrible cramps to two or three day long periods with and very moderate um, without the cramps or without the cravings and even women with going through menopause or women who are perimenopausal, postmenopausal, I think they sort of feel like they're doomed um, and there's no weight loss for them. But we've had tremendous amount of success. But one of the most common uh, remarks that we hear from patients who are particularly postmenopausal is the increase in their sex drive. We also hear this from men, but not as often as we actually hear from women. 
and they always get so excited to share with me. It's, it's neat to hear from the patients that they found that um, excitement, that sexual incitement later on in life. For the women that are in your program, is it fair to say that they're having these issues like the metabolic conditions and things? So if somebody doesn't have these issues and they're just wanting to use fasting to better their health, have you seen that in your clinic or it's just uh, restricted to you know, people that absolutely need fasting uh, in order to heal their bodies? So in our clinic, I would say there there's a small percentage of people that are there for preventative measures, but the majority of the patients that we deal with are uh, in uh, suffering from metabolic syndrome, and they have been for a period of, of time already. So that's from our experience with them. Most of the people who are, there's very few people who come and join us for preventative reasons. I can only comment sort of within my social circle from uh, my peers, female peers who have watched my journey and decided to jump on the bandwagon. They have lots of energy, um, improved concentration, nothing very specific to women in the preventative sense, though, other than the improved menstruation. So I'm 33. So the the biggest comment that I've gotten from my uh, my girlfriends who are doing this more preventatively or out of curiosity because of my experience, um, women, I had friends who were struggling a little bit with fertility, with PCOS, probably poor body compositions, but definitely the, not in dire straits um, metabolically other than uh, PCOS. And uh, it's helped tremendously with their fertility and uh, the and just overall energy is the biggest feedback that I get from them and improved menstruation. And if women are having issues with intermittent fasting, what are some issues that you see in your clinic and how do you overcome those issues with intermittent fasting if there are any? There's not too many. I say the the big, biggest issue lies with um, women going through menopause and uh, dealing with more so emotional eating. Uh, when horm certain hormones are in flux. Um, but we find most of our female patients are very disciplined. They know that going through menopause, there's a tendency to gain a lot of weight, and they don't want that. So even if they do engage in emotional or stress eating at the time, they know that they're prone to gaining weight, so they usually make better choices. So I'd say the majority of our patients are very highly motivated. So we don't really see that much of an issue, other frustration, in office, our groups are co-ed online. They're not not always co-ed. So uh, in office, we see um, a lot of frustration. You know, a woman will be doing the same fasting regimen as a man of the same age, but the man is losing twice as much weight. So these women will say, you know, it, it's irritating to hear, but I'm losing weight and I'm not supposed to be losing weight at this time in my life, but I'm losing weight and I'm grateful for that. So uh, other than frustration from hearing from their male counterparts, um, I'd say they're highly motivated to make wiser food choices, which helps preserve their, all of the good work that they're doing through their fasting. Mm, yeah. And I know that there's a lot of concern and stuff out there about how insulin or rather how intermittent fasting can cause stress on the body or raise cortisol, which in turn raises insulin. What are your thoughts on that? 
Increase in cortisol is, is virtually negligible, um, and we work with our patients gradually. Nobody comes in on a cookie-cutter regimen. Uh, we don't start everybody off on something like seven days of fasting and 20, 24 hours of fasting. Uh, if that's not what the person's body is going to uh, be okay with. So we go with listening to the body. We're really big and listen to the body. Some people don't like this because they want to be told very specific, but we're all really individual. When I was going to do my first fast, Jason said, why don't you try seven days? You know, I mean, you're not on medication. Yeah, your health is kind of crappy, but you're young. Why don't you try seven days? And I thought the same thing as him. All right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. It's going to suck <laughs> Men <laughs> mentally, but you know, I'm, I should be able to push through it. And well, no, I crashed and burned around 18 hours. And through doing blood work, I discovered that I had a bit of leaky gut. I definitely Definitely was not absorbing sodium despite the amount of salt that I was taking in broth I was still feeling like garbage um, and I had to stop at 18 hours for the first couple of weeks because we don't want to put too much stress on the body so you need to listen to your body and know when enough's enough and build it up gradually uh, Jimmy Moore was the first one to say this um, but he, he says fasting is like a muscle and he's exactly right. It's exactly like a muscle. And you have to work it up gradually over time. You can't expect to jump into the gym and uh, do the same uh, training regimen as a bodybuilder who's been going to the gym every day for 90 minutes every day for the last 10 years. Uh, you're not going to be like that if you're not someone who's gone to the gym in the last 10, 20 years. That's just not your luck. You have to start off within your body's own limitations. So for me, I started at 18 hours, and then every other day I started pushing it a little bit more until I was able to reach 24 hours. And then I hang, I hang, I hung out there for a while until I could go beyond that 24 hours. And each time I tried to stre stretch it, it was a little bit more difficult. But you have to do these things gradually so you don't put too much stress on the body. So everybody starts where their body is capable of starting because mm -hmm. we don't want to induce too much stress on the body at one time. Yeah. And I would imagine if you're constantly pushing, that's where you get into the issues with cortisol. If you're just like, nope, I'm going to do a fast. I don't care. Would that be fair to say? Like just not listening to the body whatsoever that you can run into issues. Oh, yeah. Like if, you, if you're um, hell bent on I'm going to fast for X number of days, but you're getting nauseous and dizzy and like you can't get out of bed, like that's not good. That's not good at all. You, you need to call it quits. You have to build up your fasting muscle there. Cool. And I guess that answers my next question, which was, you know, you mentioned listening to your body. And I love that. That's something we talk about on the podcast all the time. And a lot of people were saying, well, what's my body going to tell me if fasting isn't good for it? But you just mentioned feeling nauseous, dizzy, can't get out of bed. Are there any other signs that somebody should watch for when it's like, okay, girl, like maybe 18 hour fast is good enough for you right now? It's really sort of having um, a, a nausea is sort of the most alarming one headaches and dizziness. Um, my rule was uh, my fast ends if I don't feel like I can drive. If I feel like I would be an impaired driver, my fast ends. If I feel like I'm going, it's one thing to have a little bit of tummy discomfort, 
But if I start to feel nauseous, my fast ends. And I can always try again to stretch it out the next time. So nausea, headaches, dizziness, um, heavy mental fog. If you don't feel adequate to give a presentation, or again, if you don't feel safe to safe to drive, or if you wouldn't be comfortable balancing your checkbook. Uh, and I don't know if anybody balances their checkbook still nowadays. What's a checkbook? No. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked me for one lately, or recently, and I had asked my husband, do we have one of those? I don't <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> and so it's if you if you don't if you're not able to keep up with your regular day to day activities, you don't want to impairing your life. Then that's when you need to stop your fast, and you can always work your way up to doing longer fasts over time. Wonderful. And let's chat a little bit about muscle loss and fasting. <laughs> a lot of women are concerned that if they fast, they're going to lose muscle. True or not true? Not, not true if you've got plenty of body fat to spare or any any body fat to spare. I will give you one of Jason's uh, famous analogies in our program. If you're at a cabin in the woods in the dead of winter and you want to make a fire because it's freezing out uh, outside and it's freezing inside, he's like, and you have two options. Your first option is to make a fire using a pile of firewood that's already chopped for you sitting outside the cabin or you can go get a saw and hack up the sofa that you would be using to sit on in front of that fire and hack up that sofa and use a sofa to build the fire, what would you do? Well, you would use the firewood, right? The sofa is expense expensive. Sofas are outrageously priced nowadays. We just moved. I couldn't believe it. It's <laughs> so true. Uh, so you would use a sofa or you wouldn't use a sofa. They're expensive. They're functional. You can sit on them. You can sleep on them. You can eat on them on them if you're not fasting. You can do all kinds of things on a sofa. It serves a purpose. But the only purpose of that firewood is to create a fire. It's not very functional for you otherwise. Let's do a carpenter. I'm sure you could do something wonderful with it. But for, for most of us who use the firewood for the fire, you're not going to use the, the use the $2,500 sofa over the firewood because the sofa is functional. So if you have lots of firewood, why would you use a sofa? But if you have no firewood and there is a miserable storm outside and there is no way you are walking and roaming into the woods to cut down some firewood, you might take apart or take apart, you know, a dining room chair or some or a side table to make a fire if you were in dire straits. So muscle is functional, like the sofa is functional and the dining room table is functional. It serves a purpose and it's, it's, it's a more expensive component of your body than excess fuel is. All of this unwanted fat that we have in our system is just excess gasoline that our body has stored in jerry cans. We call sacks of fat because we weren't able to use that fuel uh, from our food before we refueled again. We live in a society where we're going to the gas station every two hours and buying a full tank of gasoline. So that translates into we're eating every two hours and we're eating a tremendous amount of carbohydrates, a tremendous amount of fuel, but we're only driving a few kilometers or a few miles before we refill again a couple of hours later. So at the end of the day, we end up with an excess amount of fuel that we're not using. So we end up storing in that in our system to be used later on. So all this fat is is just excess fuel that's stored in our system. So if you have an abundance of jerry cans in, in your belly to use as fuel, you're not going to break down your muscle. You're going to use the jerry cans. The muscle's important. So you can run into problems if you do really prolonged periods of fasting. I mean, most people who fast for something like 60, 40 to 60 days, they're going to start to see some protein breakdown. Absolutely. But if you're 
also very low body fat percentage. And you jump on one of these longer fasts, like going for like five or seven days, and you're doing that frequently, then you can see some protein deterioration there, because your body doesn't have any firewood. So it's got to hack up the sofa, it's got to break down that muscle for fuel during that fasted state, that's more of a state of starvation. But when you do have excess fuel, even if you're if you're at a very low percentage of body fat, and you're doing more intermittent fasting, as long as you're eating adequately on your eating days, you're always going to have a little bit of stored fuel. So when you fast, even if you're at this low body fat percentage, you're always going to have a couple of logs of firewood to burn. So you're going to be able to preserve your muscle, your functional parts of your body. Does mm -hmm. that, does, am I making sense? That was the best ever. Yes, you're good at what you do. <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. Yeah, that analogy is so wonderful. And I do have a question though about that excess fuel because I find like if my body gets too low in fat, I start having issues like hormonally, my body is just like, blah, we need more fat. So I guess that excess fuel and body fat, that amount is different for everyone, would you say? It is different for everybody. I mean, uh, like women who, particularly women, if you don't have very much body fat and you're not feeding yourself adequately, you're going to experience some hormonal shifts like amenorrhea, your period might stop. So, you know, you don't want to be in a facet state if your body fat's too low and you're not adequately fueling yourself. So it's very individual specific. I'll, I'll definitely say there's very very few patients in our program that are doing anything that resembles what anybody else is doing. It's very individualized. It depends on what your body's composed of and how you are refueling or feeding yourselves when you do eat. So if somebody does have amenorrhea or starts to experience amenorrhea while fasting, do you think that they should stop then? I do. Um, absolutely. Particularly if you have loaded body fat, absolutely. Now, we have a lot of women who clearly have a lot of visceral fat uh, and a lot of subcutaneous fat in their midsection. Like, they definitely have a lot of stored fuel. And I say the majority of them are over 40% body fat. And uh, when they first start fasting, it can definitely delay their periods for the first couple of months. Instead of being 28 days, it might be 38 days. And this isn't uncommon for the first couple of months of, of fasting, but they do have a period. It's just a little delayed. I um, often uh, get emails from women saying, do you think I'm pregnant? We've heard about fasting and, and ketogenic diets, increasing fertility. We're really, not, <laughs> we're really not wanting to be pregnant right now. And I'll usually say, hang tight for a couple of weeks and the period will come. So it usually throws things out of whack for a couple of months. And then the period is like the most regular period they've ever had in, in their lives um, after that. Um, so if you're experiencing more of a delayed period when you know you have a lot of body fat, you know, always, always, always get checked out by your doctor. We test our patients all of the time. Um, they, they roll their eyes at us. They call us the vampire blood club because we're always <laughs> checking their blood work. <laughs> all of the time. Um, our, our poor lab technician, they just refer to her as a vampire now. So we're constantly monitoring your, our patients. So if you know you have a lot of body fat to lose and your and your mens menstrual cycles off a little bit, I wouldn't say it's cause for alarm, but always get checked out. There's no harm in having a blood test and having an abdominal ultrasound, but that won't be the way that it is forever. But if you're at a very, very low body fat percentage, you know you don't have much firewood in your system system and your period does stop, then lay back on the fasting and really try to increase the fat. And so increase the, the calories in your diet, but increase them from fat on your eating days. 
for women specifically with their cycle, do you find that there are periods in a woman's cycle where it's just more difficult to fast than others? Like the second phase, usually people experience uh, more physical hunger and dealing with cravings or mood swings, which makes, I would imagine, intermittent fasting a little bit more difficult. Have you seen that in your practice? It's always difficult at first. And um, for those patients, I say never fast during that week or during that time. And but instead of in, indulging on the carb foods, indulge on the fatty foods, you know, embrace that bacon, go wild with the eggs, you know, um, really embrace the fatty foods, you know, the 90% dark chocolate, and enjoy them. And that it's about seeking comfort in those those foods that are good for you, and that are really going to help neuroregulate your appetite. So the fat, the fat's the most potent thing at neuroregulating your appetite or the most potent macro for neuroregulating your, uh, neuroregulating your appetite. So I really drive them to focus on the fatty foods. So I'd say most women really focus. There's not a whole lot of fasting going on during that time. There's a lot of focusing on eating the fatty foods. But within six months, they find that that's not much of an issue anymore and that they can fast regularly. A lot of women don't find it to be a difficult fasting at all through the entire duration. Um, I'm somebody who is just a miserable, terrible, cranky person who wouldn't feel guilty for eating an entire pizza and going to McDonald's and getting a 20-pack of nuggets. Mm. And I was just a psychotic lunatic during that time in my cycle. And that's not the case anymore. It's really weird because you're emotionally stable all the time. And I'm so used to being such a psychotic lunatic for <laughs> for a few days every month um, that I don't have that anymore. And it's nice. It's benefited my my relationship, my marriage, my, my work because for a few days every month, I'm not sort of dormant at work. I'm, I'm very productive. And it's nice to have control over your cravings again. So first step is to really focus on the fat and then just let your body progress naturally. And it, uh, you know, we see time and time again that, you know, improved mood, ability to fast, uh, like no bloating, no weight fluctuations is pretty amazing, actually. That's awesome. And I feel you on that. It's kind of weird to not have that crazy psycho time of just feeling always <laughs> off and horrible. <laughs> and that, that six month period that you mentioned where it gets easier to fast during that period. Why is that? Is it because you're more fat adapted or why does it, why does it get better? I think more fat adapted. And, uh, I think that's a big big role. Um, you know, eating the carbohydrates definitely has a, a huge effect on our mood. And uh, being more fat adapted, we know can help alleviate things like depression and improve other psychiatric disorders. And so I think it's, it's primarily just sort of becoming fat adapted. And I also think it has a lot to do with reducing the insulin levels as well. You're not as prone to water retention and whatnot, which can help uh, alleviate a lot of the discomfort during that time too. And I guess that answers my next question which was from one of our listeners, they asked, how do you feel about using intermittent fasting with ketosis together for women? And I guess you're for that or... Yeah. Um, uh, so in our program, um, we really emphasize fasting. Uh, Toronto is the most multicultural, uh, multicultural diversity in the world. And we, uh, over 50% of the population weren't born here. They're, um, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of our patients come in and they live in large households and they're trying to establish themselves here in Canada. And uh, the, the money's not there for them to buy their own special unique diet. And, uh, 
so they have to eat with what their families eating, which tend to be more economical carbohydrates. So we really place place a large um, emphasis on um, fasting and time restricted eating windows in our in office patients. So with our in office patients, we do try to get them to cut back on the portions of the carbohydrates if they're going to have them. You know, take less potatoes, take less rice, take more salad. You know, if you can't forgo the potatoes or the rice altogether, take more of the vegetables, more of that broccoli. So we do try to scale it back. Um, I'd say most of our in-office patients were able to get to more of a moderate low-carbohydrate diet, but there's lots of socioeconomic factors with our patient population in-office. So we really focus on the fasting and on their eating days. It's not one giant eight-hour eating window that they would have. We we focus on more time-restricted eating windows. With our long-distance patients, though, uh, the majority of our uh, 75%, um, actually, I just did the stats on this the other day, it was 75.6% of our long-distance patients are female. And um, most of our long-distance patients have already been doing a ketogenic diet coming to us. They just haven't been able to lose, you know, that last, I'd say on the majority of them sort of get stuck around, you know, the last 20 to 40 pounds and uh, the ketogenic diet's just not, um, not driving them down to sort of their ideal body composition. So uh, we throw in the fasting and most of them are doing a ketogenic diet. I'd say the majority of them are checking their ketones regularly for biofeedback, more so for motivation to stay, uh, stay away from the carbohydrates and for fasting. Um, so that's one of the bigger reasons why any of our patients would check ketones. We don't recommend it, actually. Um, Jason doesn't want people to have to obsess over tracking anything. But a lot of people will check their ketones for for a good feedback mechanism to help keep them motivated. So most of them follow ketogenic diets. I'd say a few of them track their macros. You know, I'd say if you know you're eating good quality foods, if if you know you're cooking your vegetables and fat or adding your veg uh, adding fat to your vegetables, and same thing with your protein source that you might be having, and you're not going wild with the protein. I mean, I'm five foot one, and I've eaten a 16 ounce filet mignon in my life, and that's going wild with the protein if you're not <laughs> but if you're not doing that on a regular basis and you're adding a little bit of fat to it if it's not a fattier cut then you're doing a great diet so there's no need to really obsess over counting and tracking and restricting certain things our biggest culprits are nuts we could get yeah. a lot of patients who struggle with grazing on nuts in between eating windows or throwing in a couple cups of nuts. Um, and uh, nuts like macadamia nuts are not that offensive because their protein content is so low. But when we have a lot of patients taking handfuls of almonds and walnuts with each meal, then that's when we run into issues with that excess protein being converted to glucose and spiking insulin levels through gluconeogenesis um, because they're taking those nuts in addition to the other protein sources in their meal as well, which would have been adequate on their own. But we don't restrict nuts, but we really try to educate our patients about the importance of making them parts of their meals rather than having them as a separate entity on their own on their eating days. So we really, uh, we do really don't push them to track too much. But I'd say uh, an ideal combination is a ketogenic diet. I myself do a ketogenic diet and I'm human. I'm not going to claim to be perfect here. I'll say I'm adherent to it 95% of the time. When I first started, I did track my macros to learn a little bit about how my body was responding. I'm a scientist, so I love numbers. So whereas some people can get too carried away with uh, monitoring their own, I get 
excited about that kind of stuff. So I did check it at the beginning. I haven't checked my macros in a very long time. I check my ketones periodically, um, and they're fantastic. Um, I just make sure that I'm just having a variety of fats in my diet, and then I'm I'm cooking or adding these fats to my vegetables and picking fattier protein sources. And uh, I found that it's worked really well for me. When I first started fasting, of course, I lost a lot of weight and all my biomarkers and my lab test results, my ultrasound results improved a lot. But I didn't experience that tremendous amount of energy that I would read other people experiencing online. And, and back when I started fasting, it was still taboo. There was an odd, odd person online blogging about it, but there wasn't that much support. But it wasn't until I switched to a ketogenic diet that I felt that boom in energy. But even it, it takes a while to become fat adapted. Even though I was generating a lot of ketones, my body definitely wasn't using them effectively. So by using the combination of the fasting and the ketogenic diet, it took me about six months but once I became fat adapted or keto adapted I mean I was like the energizer bunny um, and I never thought I would have that I always thought I had damaged my body too much so I definitely think um, a combination of the two is optimal and we see a lot of long distance patients who are very consistent with their intermittent fasting and who follow a ketogenic diet and and they just kick butt left right and center they're doing phenomenal mm. Very cool. That's awesome. And my last question for you is more if somebody listening right now is new to intermittent fasting and they are really inspired by what you just shared, how would they get started and, and what are some of the first steps that you would recommend that they do? The first step that I usually recommend to people who have no no background with intermittent fasting is to just sort of focus on eating in time-restricted eating windows. Don't graze between breakfast and lunch and lunch and dinner and, and definitely try not to eat after supper as well. So to really focus on time-restricted eating windows and really sort of emphasize the fats and reduce the carbohydrates in the diet. And so some patients will start off with three time-restricted eating windows of about 60 minutes per day. Um, and then we'll go to two 90 minute eating windows a day. So do it gradually is always a good step. Slow, slow and steady always wins the race. And just focus, really cut out grazing and cut out snacking. If there's any dietary advice I wish I could shout from the top of the CN Tower, <laughs> it would be don't snack, don't snack, don't snack. Eat at your meal times and uh, make sure you're eating fatty foods so you're feeling satiated and wait till your next meal time to eat and just stop snacking in between. And I think that's the best training you could do for your body to get yourself ready to do some fasting. Amazing. Great advice. And where can people find more from you? I know you kind of shared some links at the beginning, but feel free to share more or the same ones. Where can people find more from you? Well, you can always follow us on social media. I'm working on Twitter. I'm I'm like the the computer illiterate millennial on the planet. Uh, <laughs> I married a younger guy, so you could teach me how to do this stuff. But I'm on Facebook. Um, uh, you can uh, it's Facebook.com/slash/MeganIDM, and that's Megan M-E-G-A-N. There's no H. Um, and you can follow me on Facebook um, at Megan J Ramos. So that's Megan J as in Jennifer and Ramos. 
Ramos, R-A-M-O-S. And uh, my Twitter Twitter handle is the same. And that will be a lot more active starting actually next week because that's when I'm I'm scheduled for a, a lesson on updating or <laughs> updating my own internal software and getting with the times. And you can always contact me on the Intensive Dietary Management website at intensivedietarymanagement.com. There's a contact box there and you can always drop a drop a line and the message will come directly to my inbox. Thanks again to Megan for sharing her wealth of knowledge. That's it for this episode. And like I said, if you want more information on fasting, stay tuned because we're going to be coming out with a new episode in just a couple of weeks. Again, you can grab the podcast extra and transcript guide by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash podcast slash E94. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again next Sunday to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be confused as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcasts reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.